Shalom. Welcome to TanakhStudy.com. This is Shani Tarragon, and today I'd like to summarize Parsha Tazria by looking at the broader context of the laws of Tzarat and the narratives of Tzarat. The concluding Parshia, which we read yesterday dealing with Tzarat HaBeged, reminded us of the motif Zotorat Neget Tzarat Beged HaTzimer, of what we found at the very beginning of the Parsha, a beautiful bookend, to chapter 12, but it's exactly this juxtaposition that highlights the uniqueness of Tzarat. For childbirth, a profound, transformative experience that at times may also be dangerous is certainly not unnatural. To quote Rabbi Michael Hatton, the course of the condition of childbirth is predictable, the symptoms conventional, and the prognosis inevitable. The course of Tzarat, on the other hand, must be regarded as progressing completely beyond the realm of what may be regarded as medically anticipated. This is what led Chazal to the inescapable conclusion that the phenomenon of Tzarat is not a function of any exposure to dangerous physical substances, but rather is intrinsically connected to one's spiritual state. This is indicated also through the recurring vocabulary of Tameh and Tahor, used to describe one's state with regard to the Mikdash, whether one is fit to enter the Mikdash or unfit to enter into the sanctified precincts and partake of related sacrificial foods. This is what led Chazal not only to ponder, but to search and to come up with answers as to what is the origin of Tzarat, as opposed to the anticipated natural state of childbirth, which we understand through the birth of a child leads to a different physiological state. What is the cause behind one contracting Tzara'at. We already noted yesterday that in order to help us appreciate the broader themes of the Torah, one has to look at the broader context of the Torah. The earliest form of Parshanut is in fact Parshanut Pnimit, internal exegesis contained within the Psukim and within the Parshiot of the Torah. If we don't understand one aspect or a Pasuk in one context, then we are charged to look at the broader context, both with regard to understanding specific words, certainly the concepts as well. Albeit within our context of Parshat Tazriya and Sefer Vayikra, the phenomenon of Tzarat appears to be very ambiguous, certainly its cause. When we reach Sefer Bamidbar, we find an elaborative narrative that ends with the ailments of Tzarat. The story begins with Miriam speaking some form of Lashon Hara or disparaging speech, which lead Chazal to teach us that according to the text, just like Miriam's sudden affliction was brought upon through her misuse of speech, for she had deliberately spoken badly of her brother Moshe, so too, each time one contracts Sarat, it must be that it was a direct result, a consequence of one slandering another. So if we turn just for a moment to the story in Parshat Bahalotcha, chapter 12 of Sefer Bamidbar, we read, And the Milam Mancha is going to be the word Dibur. We're going to see all different forms of conversation, but one that's initiated by Miriam. Adonai 
לא כן עבדי משה, בכל ביתי נאמן הוא, פה אל פה אדבר בו, ומראה ולא בחידות, ותמונת אדוני יביט, ומדוע לא יראיתם לדבר בעובדי במשה? ויחר אף אדוני בם וילך. וענן שר מעל האוהל, והנה מרים מצורעת כשלג, ויפן אהרון אל מרים, והנה מצורעת. ויאמר אהרון אל משה, בי אדוני, אל נא תשט עלינו חטאת אשר נועלנו ואשר חטאנו. אל נא תהי כמת אשר בתתו מרחם עמו, ויאחל לחטי בשרו. ויצעק משה לאדוני לאמור, אל נא רפא נא לה. מרים and Aaron spoke disparagingly of Moshe concerning the dark-skinned wife that he had taken. God heard this, and the man Moshe was exceedingly humble, more so than any other person on the face of the earth. Suddenly, Hashem addressed Moshe, Aaron, and Miriam, saying, All three of you go out to the oil moed, to the tent of meeting. God descended in a pillar of cloud and hovered at the opening of the tent. He called Aaron and Miriam, and both of them approached. He said, Hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I appear to him in a vision or else in a dream. Not so with respect to my servant Moshe, for he is most loyal in all of my house. Why were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moshe? God was angry with them and he departed. The cloud lifted off the tent, and behold, Miriam was as mitzorat as snow. Aaron turned towards Miriam, and behold, she was mitzorat. Let's keep in mind the tragedy of the moment. Aaron, as we know, is the Kohen Gadol. He is charged in Parshat Tazriah with overseeing not only the state of diagnosis of a mitzorah and not only supervising him throughout the process, but ultimately in charge of his purification as well. Chazal teaches, however, that a Kohen is not allowed to be related to the patient mitzorah that he is going to accompany. So note that it's only Aaron and his two sons who can supervise the purification process of Miriam. But It is his sister. So he turns instead to Moshe and basically says, Miriam is going to remain a mitzorat unless you do something, because Aaron, in fact, cannot help her in the state of purification. You came out of the same womb, he basically says, at which point Moshe cries out to Hashem, Ilna Rafanala, Almighty, please heal her now, which he does, for we see immediately thereafter that Miriam is confined outside of the encampment for seven days, teaching us that her state of tzarat only remain for but a few moments. Chazal see the story clearly as a form of commentary of exegesis on how we understand the root of tzarat. The linkage is undeniable. Miriam is called a mitzorat. It's described as white as snow, and she is going to be isolated from the camp for seven days. This then serves as the basis for Chazal and Mesechat Erchin associating tzarat with the chet, with the sin of Lashon Hara. As the Rambam concludes at the end of his lengthy codification of the laws of Tzumat Tzarat, he explains that the one suffering from Tzarat would be publicly separated and isolated so that he would be unable to engage in the chatter of the wicked, namely foolish words and evil speech. We've already spoken about the Midah Keneged Midah nature of understanding that when one speaks ill of someone, he is basically tearing apart the social fabric of a community. He is undermining the trust of his relationship. It is only fitting, therefore, that the Mitzorah is relocated to the outside of the camp, where he must dwell in complete isolation until he recognizes the danger that he poses to communal cohesiveness that his evil speech engendered. This is further corroborated by further Psukim and Sefer Dvarim. In the context of Moshe Rabbeinu's last speech of Mitzvot to Bnei Israel upon imminent entrance to the land of Israel, he tells them in chapter 24 of Sefer Dvarim, 
הישמר בנגע הצרת לשמור מאוד ולעשות ככל אשר יורו אתכם הכהנים הלוויים כאשר ציוויתם תשמעו לעשות. זכור את אשר עשה אדוני אלוהיך למרים בדרך בתתכם ממצרים. Be careful of this malady of Tzarat that will strike, and therefore remember what Hashem inflicted upon Miriam as you came out of Mitzrayim. This law appears within the social context of mitzvot that Moshe commands B'nai Yisrael, teaching us that there are religious implications and physical implications for how we interact in society. But if that's the case, then we justifiably wonder, why is it that this phenomenon of Tzarat no longer exists today? Shouldn't we all be able to benefit from a physical manifestation of our shortcomings, especially when it comes to Lashon Hara. Sadly, Lashon Hara, which is its root cause, according to Chazal, is very much still pre- prevalent today. So why then has this condition so completely disappeared? The Ramban addresses this question in his Perush at the beginning of Tzarat HaBegid in chapter 13, verse 47. The text speaks of a garment that's infected with Tzarat. This condition is not at all a natural occurrence and does not typically occur in the world, he explains. And so with respect to Tzarat Habayit, what we'll learn next week with regard to Tzarat of the house. Rather, when Am Yisrael are whole in their relationship with God, then Hashem's spirit is upon them constantly to preserve their bodies, their garments, and their houses in good repair. When they sin, then a blemish occurs on their flesh or their clothing or their house to indicate that Hashem has withdrawn from them. This is stated explicitly in the upcoming Psukim with regard to Tzarat Habayit, wherein the Pasuk states explicitly, Ki Hashem himself will be the one to place the plague of Tzarat upon the house as an indication that an offense was performed against God. The Raman continues, though, and notes that this phenomenon occurs only in Eretz Yisrael, as we'll find in Perak Yudalid, Pasuk Lamedalid, Ki Tavo El Eretz Knan. Only when you enter Eretz Knan and Hashem gives us the land as inheritance, only then will the phenomenon of Tzarat take place. The Ramban explains that this is not a geographical qualification or limitation, but rather it can only happen in Eretz Yisrael where Hashem's Shechina, Hashem's presence, resides. Only where one is used to having an intense relationship with God will one feel the distance or the rift that he or she has created upon sinning. And therefore, the Ramban concludes that he believes that it's not just with regard to the case of Tzarat HaBayit, but Tzarat HaBegid as well. He introduces two related ideas to explain this phenomenon. Firstly, he posits that Tzarat is supernatural, and it's also a direct function of the withdrawal of the Shekhinah. This he clearly learns from the Psukim that we read in Sefer Bamidbar with regard to the onset of Miriam Sarat, clearly marked by the departure of the cloud of Hashem. The Sarat does not break out in a vacuum, but rather is the direct consequence of Hashem Shechina no longer being present to protect those in his midst. In other words, God's presence sustains us. His involvement preserves us. And when we, through our misdeeds, through our sins, banish him, then his protective support dissipates and Tzarat will fill in the void. Tzarat, then, is a direct consequence of the Shekhinah of Hashem being distant through our actions. Therefore, the Ramban explains, this phenomenon can only exist when Am Yisrael feel that there is a relationship with Hashem. In other words, the experience of an absence of God's presence is only felt when there is a profound experience of feeling his presence. So when Am Yisrael are in Eretz Yisrael, in a situation where they feel close with Hashem, where the Shekhinah is there, where they fulfill his mitzvot of the Torah, 
when they choose a path of observance and fulfillment of the word of God, then the individual who strays from this relationship will breed a physical symptom once God is estranged from his life. But if Am Yisrael are in any case insensitive to his presence, for they are alienated from his Torah, then they won't even feel his absence. If there isn't a strong relationship to begin with, then the absence will not even be felt. The Ramban, consistent not only with his exegetical approach throughout the Torah, but certainly his philosophical ties and longing for Eretz Yisrael, speaks of this experience of the presence of Hashem, particularly in the location of Eretz Yisrael. It is there that the Shekhinah resides. It is there that there is the most intense expression of a relationship with Hashem. So if Shekhinah Hashem fills Am Yisrael, particularly in Eretz Yisrael, then that's where the most profound impact of the absence or withdrawal of Shrinat Hashem is going to be felt. Otherwise, one is not really going to feel that distance because one never felt such a close relationship with God in any other place other than Eretz Yisrael. But just like the Ramban explains with regard to the land, this also depends on human sensitivity. One can even be standing in the Beit HaMikdash in Yerushalayim, but if he doesn't feel the presence of the Shekhinah, then he will remain apathetic to any withdrawal. Therefore, there are really two conditions that are required for the forms of Tzarat to be possible and effective. Firstly, Am Yisrael has to be living in accordance with the commandments of God. They have to feel a relationship with Hashem. Secondly, they have to be living that life in the land of Israel. Only under such intense conditions of a relationship of connection to the Shekhinah will the physical manifestation associated with the spiritual elements of Tzarat even be effective. The Ramban is sensitizing us to another dimension of Tzarat. It's not just about cutting ourselves off from society through our speech, but rather cutting ourselves off from the presence of the Shekhinah. Perhaps that is the message that HaKadosh Baruch Hu wishes to relay, not only to Miriam and Aharon, but later on to Gehazi and Uziyahu, who will also contract Tzarat. Tzarat, ironically, is really an expression of someone who has a very close relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And the proof is that it's not Miriam who is the first personality in Tanakh to contract Tzarat. Rather, we know that it's Moshe Rabbeinu. For if we turn back to Shemot Perak Dalid, we find that the second sign that's offered Moshe to instill belief in his nivuah is to show Am Yisrael that his hand has been transformed to a leprous one. Hashem tells him, Od When Moshe places his hand in his chest and then removes it, it will appear infected with tzaratz. Rashi learns from the story of Miriam that it must be that Moshe spoke lashon hara. Af Moshe claimed that Am Yisrael would not believe him, and therefore, by slandering B'nai Yisrael, he deserved Sarat. However, when Moshe places his hand back in the chest, it will be removed and will be healthy again. Perhaps the miracle is to show that Moshe has a direct relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, so that even when there is some physical infection of his skin, he is able to remove it immediately, for he has this intense relationship with God. Perhaps that's why HaKadosh Baruch Hu punishes Miriam specifically with this phenomenon of Tzarat. Miriam and Aaron spoke about Moshe as a Navi, but they claimed that they had very similar powers of Nivu'ah. 
Interestingly, we find that amongst the three otot that Moshe performed in front of Am Yisrael to instill within them belief that he really is an intermediary and a messenger from HaKadosh Baruch Hu, was not only this sign of Tzarat. The first one was transforming a staff into a snake and back, then transforming his hands into Tzarat Kasheleg and then back to healthy skin, and the third was transforming water to blood. We know that Aaron HaKohen performed both the first and the third in front of Bnei Yisrael, proving that he too has this strong relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. The only sign that Aaron did not perform was the sign of Tzarat. Perhaps that's why HaKadosh Baruch Hu inflicts Tzarat upon Miriam, who spoke about a very common level of Nivuah. Hashem wanted to say, look, you were able to perform the staff and the snake and the water and the blood oats, but let's see what you can do with Tzarat. Moshe is on a different level, has a much more intense relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, as expressed through a direct conversation through Nivuah. And therefore, Aharon and Miriam recognize this right away. They cannot rid the Tzarat in the same automatic fashion as Moshe Rabbeinu did, and that's when they recognize the uniqueness of Moshe. Moshe, we've sinned because we haven't appreciated how you do have a closer relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and that's why you can deal with Tzarat, you can heal Tzarat, whereas we can't. And even after Moshe's plea of Elna Rifana La, Miriam is healed of the infection, but Hashem says she still must be isolated for seven days. Now she has to understand her estrangement, the rift that she's caused between herself and Hashem. And therefore, if until now, it seems as if Tzarat is something that's dreaded, we now understand that it's an expression of something very positive as well. It's an expression of a sensitivity towards others, but also a sensitivity to the presence of Hashem felt in every aspect of our lives. So if we don't have Tzarat today, then we truly are far from the presence of God. We truly are insensitive and estranged because we don't even notice that our behavior is destructive. We don't even feel a relationship with God to begin with. So maybe at this time of year and at this period of Jewish history, it's time for us to begin to dream and to yearn for more, not only for the ability to keep more of the mitzvot hatzluyot ba'aretz, but also for a day when there's a true reconciliation between Am Yisrael and HaKadosh Baruch Hu, when we can once again dwell in his midst, when we can follow his demands, not only for sensitivity to others, but also for sensitivity to the presence of God that we should feel constantly. In the upcoming Shirim, we will continue with Parshat Mitzorah, beginning with the procedure for ritual purification of a Mitzorah from his sores, and followed by the phenomenon of Tzarat Abayit, the leprosy on a house, and how one deals with that phenomenon. We will then see a very interesting summary and continue with other physiological forms of Tuma and Tahara. In the meantime, Shabbat Shalom.